Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I am going to upset several of you today, and I want you to, ahead of time, give me the grace because I just haven't slept. So if and when I say the thing that bothers you, make sure that you lean over to your neighbor and say, you know what, it's probably because you didn't sleep very much. We have moved, we are still in this uncommon time sermon series, but we have moved from Rome to Egypt. As you can tell in the verses that were read for us just now, we're going to retell a very familiar story, a very familiar story. And in fact, this particular story, which is not just the Exodus, but is, is also, uh, it is also then the wilderness wanderings, and then it is also the settlement, and then the struggles to settle in the promised land. This is going to take us all the way to Advent, actually. So we're going to spend some time, quite a bit of time, actually, in Exodus. I do want to say this to you uh, The time is right, and the conditions are ripe for another exodus. And and the good news is that God is still in the exodus business. And and here's another way to say that. God is is still interested in liberating, for sure, you. But again, I want you to hear this with your gathered up corporate ears. God is willing to, to liberate us from the Pharaoh of the day. And by the way, there's always Pharaohs. I mean, they change their names, right? But there's always pharaohs. And the pharaohs always have the same sort of interest, to be honest with you. Political ideology, that was one of the things that, that Pharaoh uh, had. He had this really strong political ideology that made him an enemy and a competitor to God, and God was having none of that. I would submit that we have that again today. There was also an economic or consumeristic component to it, and you're going to hear that over the next couple of weeks when the people now liberated are saying, but man, I really liked it when we had a chicken in every pot. That exists today, too. There is a consumeristic bent to the Pharaoh these days, a consumeristic bent that allows people to take a consumer's posture as it has to do with faith. And here's what that looks like. That looks like a cafeteria sort of styled faith and religion where I can pick and choose what I like and what I don't like. I can pick and choose what I agree with and what will outrage me. I, I am outraged. I'm outraged when your uh, communication and your articulation of faith 
does not fit the high moral grounds where I have built my home. Please don't bother me with what I'm doing day to day with my real life though. And then there's also, there's also the Pharaoh that I'll call uh, cynicism that does have a grip on folks, even religious folks. I don't know if you know this, but Christians can also be cynical. Amen. Have you ever seen it? And, and sometimes that will then look like apathy. I am concerned that there are pharaohs lurking about. The good news is, like I've said, is that God still is the Exodus God. And God still has the capacity and the interest in liberating God's people. The question at that point then becomes, do we have more in common with our liberator or our captors? Because another thing you're going to see over the course of the next couple of weeks, some people who were actually liberated actually long for captivity. And so I've already named for you the other pharaohs that lurk about today, and they still lurk about, and I'm telling you. And not only that, some of them have tight grips on some of us, tight grips. The question I'm going to ask you over and over over the next several weeks is this. Do you have more in common with your liberator or your captor? Your liberator is not content with part of you. Freedom is, and strange as it may sound, freedom is costly. Freedom is costly. But man, it's good. It's good. I've been trying to find some stories for you along the way, and I, I found an, another one today. Now, it's not all that current. In fact, uh, it's, it's from a long time ago. This is 2003. There was an Egyptian scholar uh, who wants to sue, and he actually as late as 2014, he still wants to sue Israel over the Exodus. I don't know, I find this somehow comforting. Like <laughs> Egypt is also owning the story and acknowledging the story, and they actually want to sue the people of Israel for all that they took in the process of the Exodus. It's out there. In, in fact, the guy's name is Nabil Hilmi. He's the dean of the faculty of law at Egypt's Zagazig University. I promise that's the name. And he says this, this is the greatest fraud history has ever known. Uh, he said uh, he and a number of Egyptian jurists will sue the Jews of the world for these lost treasures, the value of which, Hilmi estimates, in the trillions of dollars. Trillions of dollars. Here is the quote. He says, if we assume that the weight of what was stolen or taken was one ton, let's just say one ton, it's worth doubled every 20 years, even if the annual interest rate is only 5%, then after 1,000 years it would be worth 1.1 billion tons. Tons. And that's just for the one stolen ton way back when. The stolen gold is estimated at 300 tons, and it was not stolen for just 1,000 years, but for 5,700 plus years by the Jewish reckoning. Therefore, that debt is very large. Again, somehow oddly comforting to me that this story that looks so fantastic in the pages of Scripture is acknowledged by Egypt. They say, yeah, not only is it true, we'd like our stuff back. <laughs> with all kinds of interest. It is interesting that Egypt acknowledges 
the Exodus and the implications and the ramifications of the Exodus. I had a discussion this week with Rabbi Harris, who is the, the rabbi over at Temple B'nai Israel. Obviously, the people that she ministers to on a, on a weekly basis, this is a central, this is the central story. Jason, would you say it's the central story for them? They, they have no way of looking at life except through these lenses of Exodus. They deeply, with their whole being, acknowledge the exodus. My question for us, Oklahoma City First Church, is do we? Do we acknowledge the reality and the implications of the exodus? You can hear, even in the verses that Tyler read, you can hear that God intends for this to be a preoccupation. This, God intends for these to be the lenses through which you see the rest of, of your life and, and your children. You know, the, the writers of the Exodus here, God is saying to them, we want you to rehearse and remember the story on such a regular basis that your children have no way of understanding a political campaign season except through the lenses of Exodus. I have not yet even begun to upset you. So hang in there. Seatbelts, everybody. And I would submit to us that we are in dire, dire need of another Exodus event. Because I'm starting to think that your candidate, my candidate, I'm starting to think that your candidate, my candidate, may not be our best hope. I'm starting to think that your party may not be our best hope. By the way, I'm just as confident that my party is not our best hope. I'm starting to think that a completely recovered economy, no matter what that means, is not our best hope. You guys, I'm starting to think, given what we've heard in the last couple of weeks, I'm starting to think that a vaccine may not be our best hope. We can't even agree. Wait, if it's not going to be my candidate, if it's not going to be my party, if it's not going to be an economic system, if it's not going to be the vaccine, where are we going to look for hope? Exactly, exactly, exactly. This is how we know that we're in need of another exodus. A quick backdrop of this story, and, and this is going to be stuff that you already know, so bear with me if you already know this. God's chosen people. We know they're God's chosen people because we can read Genesis 12 when God says, I choose you, right? This chosen family becomes a bunch of people, hundreds of thousands of people, we believe. But now they are living in Egypt as slaves, servants of Pharaoh, serving Pharaoh's ideology. And Pharaoh started to be threatened by the number of slaves, and so according to Exodus chapter one, Pharaoh saw to it that the Hebrew baby boys would be murdered to do some population control for sure, but also to do some imagination control. The people of Israel might believe that they have a story to live out, but Pharaoh's saying, uh, I think I'm gonna edit that story in the most terrible way. See, Pharaoh understood himself not just as a monarch, but Pharaoh intended for you to experience Pharaoh as a competitor deity. 
a competitor ideology, a competitor theology. And what we're finding in the story, what we're finding in the pages of the Exodus is that God does not care for competitor gods. That God will not tolerate these threats to God's chosen people or to the mission to which God has called God's chosen people. And so there are plagues. Now, again, in my discussion with, with Rabbi Harris, I, I, I just had in mind there's got to be so much symbolism in all these plagues. Like, like let's talk about frogs, Rabbi Harris. Let's, let's talk about lice. Let's talk about all these kinds of things that were part of all these plagues. And she said, oh, no, it's just, it was just terrible stuff. All, all terrible things meant to subtract from this ambiance of Egypt and Egypt's ruler, the pharaoh, as all-powerful. By the way, none of the plagues, none of the plagues, the first nine at least, affected in any way the people of Israel. And none of it worked. None of it worked. And so, toward the end of chapter 11, God says the unthinkable, and you need to hear me say this right now, this is difficult stuff, and I don't intend to apologize for God here today. I'm just gonna report to you happened. At the end of chapter 11, God says, I will not tolerate this competitor God. I will not tolerate the captivity that my people are suffering. I have heard their cries of anguish, the sa'ak of the people of God. And I'm going to move, and it's going to look like this, this 10th plague. So here is where we pick up chapter 12. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall mark for you the beginning of months. I'm gonna do something so big that it's going to be the first day of a completely new era. And every year that you tell this story it will be the first day of a completely new year. That's how big this is all going to be. The beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the 10th of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a congregation of Israel, a lamb for each household, and if a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. Then the lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Very specific instructions, right? Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, and then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. So they were protected from all the other plagues, and, and pretty passively so. They didn't really have to do anything. But this time God says, look, I need to know that you're with me. I need to know that you are bought in. This is going to be a costly exercise for you. I'm about to do something really big. And the question I have for you, says God to the people of God, is are you in or not? Are you going to grip so tightly your citizenship in Egypt that you will resist citizenship in what God has for you next? Verse 8. They shall eat that lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread. It's important. Bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with its head, legs, and inner organs. Gross. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. 
We're not talking so much now about the meal itself. We're talking about the person who would eat the meal. This is really important, guys. Eat it with all your clothes on. Eat it with your shoes on. Eat it with your travel staff in your hand. And eat it in a hurry because here comes God to do what only God can do. May not seem like it's super important, but let me tell you why that's important. Unleavened bread. You don't have time for the leavening to do all of its work. You don't have time for the yeast to do its work. You need to be ready to go when God says go. What God doesn't want to hear is, ooh, I would go, but I've got, I've got bread in the oven. Ah, I would, I would, but I, just, I really have been working hard on this meal. It's gonna take us a while to get ready. No, God is saying to them, when I say go, will you go? That's how Exodus works. That's how the God of the Exodus works. I've already said to you, I think pharaohs go by different names these days. The Exodus doesn't. And the God of the Exodus doesn't. The God of the Exodus is saying, hey, when I say go, will you go? Mm, I would, but man, I'm enjoying my leavened bread. I would, I would. I would jump out there, God. I, I would go immediately like you're saying to go. I would go, and I would go wherever you tell me to go. I just have these obligations. Pharaoh's really got a grip on me here, and I, the other thing I want you to see is this. And I've already said this to you. God wants all of you. God wants all of me. God wants all of each one of us. If your mind is Christian but your body is not, you are not Christian. Oh, I gotta be, I made a decision 15 years ago. Time for a new decision. The Exodus, as it has to do with your clothes and your sandals and your staff, those are indications that the gospel, God intends for the gospel to be embodied and to have something to do with how your body moves through life, no matter where that life takes you. The people of God embody a specific, a specific truth. That specific truth is not embodied if it stops with your brain. Verse 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. Oh, this is tough. And I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. And this is huge. I don't know how I missed this for so many years. Both human beings and animals and on all of the competitor gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Every pharaoh of every era should be on alert. Every pharaoh of every era, regardless of the name of said pharaoh, should be on alert. God is on the way. And that news is not so good. 
for the pharaohs who understand themselves as competitor gods. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. I can't imagine what this must have looked like, but in my head, the prince of Egypt tells me kind of what it looked like. Can you imagine how terrifying that must have been. I asked Rabbi Harris about this. I said, how do you navigate this particular scene, this particular chapter, how do you do that? She said, well, you should know that there is no evidence that any Jewish person back then nor any Jewish person right now would celebrate the death of Egyptian children. But what is happening is this. God is saying, I will have my people. And I will loosen the grip that the competitor pharaohs, the competitor gods have on my people no matter the cost. I will have my people back and I will restore them to the mission that I have specked out for them. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. Did you know? Did you know? Six months ago, <laughs> when we would gather around this table every single week, did you know that we were retelling a couple of stories at once. Yes, we were retelling the story of Jesus gathering with Jesus' disciples. Remember that? Here's my body, he said, broken for you, and here's my blood. But they were there to retell the story of the Exodus and how it is that God deals with not just the competitor Pharaohs out there, but also God's chosen people, the people that God has called to embody this very peculiar, distinctive God. Do, do you realize that every week that we come together, by the way, we actually go out of our way to use unleavened bread. Every week, we're telling two stories. We're saying right out loud every week, God is still in the business of liberation. God is still in the business of clearing the way for God's people to be God's people, and God is still in the business of toppling captors and pharaohs. Now, when we gather on here and we invoke Jesus' name as often as we do, we're talking about pharaohs named sin and death, for sure. In other words, Exodus is not just something that God did, Exodus is something that God does. Liberation is something that God does. This is still the God who does not take kindly to competitor gods or pharaohs, no matter what their names are. This is still a God who understands 
the value of freed people. So what is our Egypt? What is our Pharaoh of the day, of the moment? I think there are still three. I've already mentioned them. I I think there's a Pharaoh out there that I would call the Pharaoh of political ideology. And by the way, however you decide to vote, Let's acknowledge that both sides killed somebody within the last 10 days. Both sides. Can we agree as the people of God that as it has to do with political conversations, it probably should not involve murder? I only got three amens. You know what, it's probably just as well because we know that singing is a, is a hard way uh, you know, we don't, we don't want to sing without masks because it spreads the germs. I think probably a good hearty amen also spreads the germs, so maybe that's what it is. You're protecting me from. I do want us to acknowledge, though, that the people of God stand in what is increasingly, sadly enough, a peculiar place. I, I, I want to say to us in strongest terms possible, that we, first of all, should be involved in the conversations. That's what it means to be Christian, I'm telling you. We are involved in the civics of our society. We also, regardless of how you vote on November 3rd, you also have to be the people who say, violence is off the table. The Pharaoh of political ideology. The Pharaoh of consumerism, we've already kind of talked about it. The highest hope is not to have a chicken in every pot, though I want that for us. But I don't want us in the consumer's seat. I mean, it's okay if you're ordering food, if you're ordering your favorite ice cream sundae, if you're ordering your favorite sandwich or pizza, it's okay for you to be the consumer at that point and says, I want this and not this, this and not this. But that consumer's mentality, you, you really ought to, we ought to have, back there where my friend Larry Bennett is, we ought to have sensors on the door that sort of just, just buzz whenever you're bringing your consumer's mentality in here because it's, it's a Pharaoh in here. When you come in here, you can determine whether or not you like the sermon or the music, but if, you term, if you're trying to determine whether or not you like the gospel, you're not a consumer, a consumer, you're a Pharaoh. And the news is bad. But the third one I think is just as dangerous. I do think there is a Pharaoh that I would call cynicism. I battle this one myself. The Pharaoh of cynicism can take the form of apathy. It can take the form of just this sort of subtle drift. When you determine that nothing works, no one's right, no one's trustworthy. Those folks end up on their own, largely, without a believing community 
because one of the things that a believing community does, it, it, it helps folks in their unbelief. And questions and doubts are actually parts of the ways that we get stronger, we, we grow toward Christ-likeness. Your questions and doubts are good things in community. We celebrate your questions and doubts. I've got mine. Maybe together we can kind of figure some things out. Maybe between the two of us we can find something reliable, a reliable place to stand. But when we are on our own, perhaps because cynicism just won't allow us to buy in anymore, ah, that's, that's a dangerous place to be. And again, and again, maybe just subtly, when you become your, final, your own final arbiter of truth, If you're the one that's finally going to determine what is real and what's not, what is true and what's not, what's good and what's not, you're Pharaoh. And so the way that we resist these things is by, again, gathering around the table. Now we can't do it. We're just, again, something else we're trying to figure out. We'll try to figure it out so that we can more often do that kind of thing here. But again, we're gonna do a five o'clock Zoom communion next week. And if you weren't here, let me tell you what that is. That's, that's when a few of us come here and it's on the screen here like you can see. And we invite everybody to come and be a part of a Zoom communion. Hopefully you will have come by and you will have gotten the elements that we have available for people here. But if not, and if you wanna bring your own bread and, and cup to that, that's fine. We're not gonna get weird about that. I'm gonna try to bless everything as best I can through a screen. Jason's gonna help. We're gonna read scripture. We're gonna have singing, and hopefully, hopefully, there will be something about that experience when we get together and we're all taking communion at the same time, though not in the same place. Hopefully, hopefully there's something about that that reorients our attention back to this God of the Exodus, the liberator. Hopefully, we will, again, understand that communion is something of a corporate flow that invites us in, maybe even before we're ready. Do that a lot as a church. You don't have to be perfect to get baptized, right? We say this all the time. There's a chance, there's a chance that the person getting baptized might need the rest of the community to help them live into or up to the high calling of baptism. Same with marriage. When two young people get married, they don't know what they're getting into, I promise. And so we help. Communion, too. Communion. We're rehearsing the muscles of liberation. Not that we liberate ourselves, but we're rehearsing those muscles that allow us to be liberated. Next week at five o'clock. Are you willing to be liberated? I've named our pharaohs. There may be more, but I'm going to go back through these three. Are you willing to be liberated from the Pharaoh of political ideology? Are you willing to be liberated from the Pharaoh of consumerism that puts you in the critic's seat? Are you willing to be liberated from the Pharaoh of cynicism? Which doubts whether or not anything can ever work ever again. You know what phrase I'm tired of? The new normal. Anybody else tired of that one? 
God the same yesterday, today, and forever seeks to liberate God's people for God's mission. And you can refuse it if you want to. Would you stand with me? Dr. Rieger's gonna come and play. I'm gonna pray a brief prayer of confession before turning it over to Jason. And, and hear me say this, I'm just having you stand because, yeah, it's been a while, the guy talks too long up front, you just kinda need to stand up and stand around. You can sit down whenever you need to, really, because I think you can pray seated. But hopefully, standing, you get a better sense that what God wants all of you. You're standing up self. God wants all of you. You're standing up self that walks out of this place and perhaps into a very unhealthy situation. Who knows? Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. Maybe it's an unhealthy work situation. But God wants all of you and is asking you and me today, how about an exodus? Heavenly Father, we confess that there are times when we have more in common with our captors than we do with you, our liberator. Father, we confess that at times, like the people that we'll hear about over the next couple of weeks, we at times say that we want liberation, but then somehow our bodies sort of chicken out. God, we confess that we have grown comfortable with some of our captors, with our pharaohs. We confess we need you. Because while there are some people in the room right now who are anxious for and ready for liberation, who want liberation, there are some people who aren't yet there, but who want to want liberation. Now in the silence, would you pray your own prayer of confession in the hopes that God can point out to you how it is, where it is, when it is, that you are in the clutches of Pharaoh. this prayer. May the Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep us in eternal life.